I went for my one and only mammogram and everyone stopped speaking. I was just trying to pretend things were normal even though I was freaking out. It was meeting you that allowed me to process what I had been through. I was never that 13-year-old girl saying, I can't <laughs> wait to find my soulmate. <laughs> I'm not what you expected. Today's not the day. This is Voices, a Dana-Farber Cancer Institute podcast that features firsthand experiences of cancer patients. In this episode of Voices, we hear from Melissa and Noelle, two women who were diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer in their 30s. Melissa and Noelle were matched through Dana-Farber's Soulmates, a peer support program that connects breast cancer patients with mentors who have experienced a similar diagnosis. Melissa, who was diagnosed in early 2015, was matched with mentor Noelle. With both women now out of active treatment, the pairing has grown into a friendship that is based on more than just a breast cancer diagnosis. Hi, I'm Melissa Angelillo. I was 35 years old when I was diagnosed. And I'm Noelle Peters. I was 39 when I was diagnosed. And we are part of the Soulmates program. So on January 8th, 2015, I got the dreaded phone call from my OBGYN and she told me that unfortunately the pathology report came back that I had cancer. Um, I had, she had found a lump and we had it, I had an ultrasound done, we had a biopsy and I'll never forget being at work because I was just trying to pretend things were normal even though I was freaking out and I remember leaving that day and thinking, how am I possibly going to get through this? I'm a mom. I have three little boys at home at the time. They were um, six, three, and 18 months. Um, I was working a few days a week, and I just wanted to make sure that I could do everything I can so that I could see my boys grow up. And I ended up here at Dana-Farber about a month later, and it was on my first visit here to Dana where a young woman from the Young and Strong program came in. Before I even met with my oncologist, I was so nervous, and she gave me a folder, and Soulmates was one of the first things that she mentioned. And something about the name of it struck me because I could tell just from the name of it that it was a one-on-one -on -one type thing. And she described it as me having kind of a mentor through this process who had been through it before. And I immediately knew I wanted to do it because A, I'm not the best in the group setting. I wasn't a group type of person. I do much better one-on-one. -on -one. And so I knew that I wanted to take part in it. I had no idea at the time that it would turn into what it has become right now. I can't say enough things about you and how much you like mean to me and my life and how I honest to goodness would not be in the place that I am right now emotionally and mentally. Not that it's a great, not that I'm not in the best place. I mean, we just finished treatment. Um, but I could, I, I can't imagine not having you and going through this process without you. So I remember them telling me about the program. I knew I immediately wanted to do it. 
but I also thought that it was going to be more of a clinical type thing. I knew that, you know, my doctor was going to tell me this is what we have to do. And the nurse was going to be able to tell me these are some of the side effects. And I more had in my head that, okay, I was going to meet someone who was going to be able to tell me firsthand this is what treatment's going to look like, or this is what it could look like, this is what it was for me. I had no idea that we were going to hit it <laughs> off like we did. I had no idea that we were going to become such good friends. I had no idea how much stuff I was going to learn from you. I had no idea that we were going to laugh so much with mm -hmm. each other, yeah. and that instead of going on Google and asking questions to Google, <laughs> I was going to be able to call Noelle and ask Noelle. So, really it interested me because I thought it was going to be someone that would just simply help me through the process. And I didn't imagine that it would be something that would go beyond the process. I had no idea that post-treatment that you and I would still be talking and yeah. be talking about things that aren't cancer related. For the rest and of our lives. Yes. Yeah. And it's so funny because I was, <laughs> I was thinking the other day about the, the name of the program, Soulmates, and thinking how... I was never that 13-year-old girl with, you know, batting her eyelashes saying, I can't wait to find and marry my soulmate. Right. I was never like that. I'm not what you I, expected. I, I, <laughs> I think you're more of my soulmate than my husband because I don't believe in that. But you, I mean, there's just, we were meant to meet. Mm -hmm. I hate I that agree. it was like yeah. this and I hate why we met, but mm -hmm. I can't imagine not having, yeah. not having met you and I can't imagine having gotten through everything without you to talk to. So I was diagnosed on March 13th of 2013. I remember all the 13s. Not that I'm a really superstitious person, but that day I was. I think I have a very typical story for a lot of young women, unfortunately, where I had a breast lump that didn't go away and it was growing and, and changing all through my 30s and went to multiple doctors, OBGYN and, and um, primary care doctor who kind of said, you know, you're young, you don't have any risk factors, this just feels like normal lumpy bumpy tissue, let's just watch it. And then nobody really watched it. I happened to relocate to Massachusetts at the very end of 2012 and I was still concerned about the lump and so as soon as we got our insurance settled, I called to make an appointment and they said, well, the earliest we can see you is late February. And I said, oh, well, okay, I do have something I'm worried about. And they said, and they said, we'll let you talk to a nurse. And the nurse said, well, did other doctors look at the lump? And I said, yeah. And well, what did they say? Well, they just said they thought it was normal tissue and, and it wasn't anything to worry about. And sure enough, I went to see the primary care doctor who was not a breast specialist who said, yeah, you know, I just think it's, it's lumpy tissue. And besides, if you had cancer this big, it would be all over your body, which was a statement that haunted me <laughs> throughout my experience. It was clear to me, she did order a mammogram and I went for my one and only mammogram and everyone stopped speaking. And so that was the, the first indicator. And I think that sort of experience, my husband and I had brand new jobs, so he wasn't there with me. I was actually there with my kids, like running out into the waiting room in a Johnny, telling them, you know, just hang tight because they kept calling me back for more and more imaging. And I didn't need to get a phone call at work at that point. Um, I didn't even, you know, I went through the biopsy, but it was pretty clear what the diagnosis was. And it felt very 
devastating and catastrophic at the time because from the minute of the mammogram forward, all anyone said to me was, you have a very large tumor. And like Melissa, I have three children, you know, and the same things flashed through your mind. Like, you know, my youngest was four at the time and, and I was saying, you know, is she gonna grow up with, you know, should I've had the third baby? Like, is it, you know, you know, what's gonna happen? And we didn't know a soul in the town we had just moved to. So that was all a very isolating experience for me. When I met my oncologist, the first thing they said to me is, we can treat this, and that was the first time someone didn't say, you have a very large tumor. It was the first time I didn't feel like someone was looking me in the face saying, you're about to die. <laughs> so even though it's treatable, and Melissa is in the same situation, we both have very large tumors for our age, and, and unfortunately for us, like there's no choice between lumpectomy or mastectomy, because we're a little bit further along, or a lot of it, <laughs> further along. During my treatment, this community that I didn't know anyone kind of came out. They put a, a cooler on my front porch and they just filled it with food. And they even put a schedule on the top of it of what we were getting, like so we could plan if somebody had an allergy. And then we just ate the food and put the dishes back in. And, and to this day, I still haven't met all of the neighbors that pitched in on this food train that just kept coming. And actually, to this day, my kids still won't eat my food. And they say, why can't we get food in the cooler? <laughs> like, so, but, and you know, I, at the time, I remember thinking, how can I ever repay this kindness? And so I went through a year of the standard treatments and surgeries and then came back for a victory lap did some more treatment for the second year. And at the end of all that treatment, I just found myself totally lost. And I, I, I think maybe, Melissa, you're feeling this way now, where the treatment's over, your family is ready to be done with you being sick, your friends are, are you know, although they're compassionate, they, you know, everybody thinks the storm has passed, you kicked cancer's butt, you, you know, you beat it, you won. And you feel like, well, how come I feel like I just got run over by a train? And, you know, where do I fit into this? Like, what are, you know, how has this changed me? How has this changed my life? And I heard about the Soulmates program. And, and I was like, you know, that would be a really great thing, thinking that would be a really great thing to pay back the kindness of the strangers that I could go and help someone. And I think, I can't remember when it happened. I think it was like minute two of our conversation where I forgot that I was supposed to be volunteering. I forgot that I didn't know Melissa at all. And we just had an incredible spontaneous conversation, probably way too inappropriate for like the volunteer training at the David Dana Farber. But, you know, and I was just like, I, you know, I always felt alone during this process. I looked around, I didn't see a lot of other young women. And not that Soulmates only matches young women, but we were matched based on our age and diagnosis. And, and nobody knew it would become what it is. And I'm incredibly thankful I met you as well. Like it just, I don't remember when you weren't in my life. And like, I, you know, in my head, I feel like, well, of course, I've always known Melissa. I will never forget right before we talked the first time. We had set up the phone call. It was before I even had, it was before I had surgery. It was before I knew that I was going to have to go through chemo and radiation. I think everyone knew that 
chances were high that that was going to happen, but everything was still kind of up in the air. And I remember telling myself over and over before we talked, okay, be on your best behavior. Try not to tell any inappropriate jokes. I remember being a little nervous, almost like calling, calling a boy for the first yeah. time. I was a little nervous I really about how it was so going to go. So I remember thinking like, oh, God, don't mess this up. <laughs> I really need her to right. tell me what to expect. Don't mess yeah. this up. And I, yeah, it was like minute two of the conversation. Mm-hmm. I knew, and I knew within the first couple right. minutes that it wasn't going to be this clinical experience, or it wasn't going to be a, you just telling me, okay, you're going to lose your hair in week two of chemo. I knew it was going to be so much more than that, and I was so relieved that at a time where I felt like I had to put on a brave face to everybody all day, every day that I immediately knew that I would not have to do that with you. And I would compare it to, I remember after having my first son, and he was not sleeping at all, and I'd inevitably end up on these mommy message boards where all these other moms were talking about how they loved getting up in the middle of the night. (laughs) What a blessing. Even if it was 14 (laughs) times, it was such a blessing. And I remember thinking, like, is something wrong with me because I don't enjoy getting up in the middle of the night? Right. And when you're diagnosed with cancer, I, I don't know if it's like this for everybody, but speaking from my own experience, I felt a lot of pressure to be positive and to be upbeat and right, to be because to make other people feel attitude. better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You won't, you feel like you're supposed to be that, mm-hmm. like you should be doing that. Sometimes you even feel like if you're not going to do that, the cancer is just going to grow. There's just there's there's a lot of pressure and right. I felt a lot of pressure right off the get-go just to be that person that everyone wanted me to be. And I knew I didn't have to be like that with you. I knew I could, it was like being, I didn't have to be like the mom who pretended that she liked getting up 14 times a night. With you, I knew I didn't have to be the girl who was, you know, dressed head to toe in pink and couldn't wait to go to chemo and lose her hair. Because that was, like the worst time of my life and for everyone else you have to like try to make it seem like it's not mm-hmm. and it was like this unspoken thing between yeah. us and I didn't even know you during your treatment so I had no idea how you handled it I had no idea what what things were like for you during that time but regardless I knew even if I wasn't being or acting in the same way that you had or that you were, that you weren't going to judge me about it, that it was okay, and that I could do, say, and act any way that I needed to, and it would be fine. I didn't, I felt like I didn't have to filter my thoughts, and I just (laughs) felt this immediate sense of, I can say anything to you, you're not going to pass judgment, and you're not going to, on the other side of the phone or on the other or even face to face you're not going to sit there and tell me you have to be this or you have to be that there were times that I needed encouragement and you gave it to me and it was like you you knew when to give it and when to tell me no it's okay to not yeah be 
some days happy suck. about this. Yeah. Yes, They're, it's, it's a, not all yeah. roses and sunshine, yeah. and none of yeah. it's roses and sunshine. Right. And I felt I immediately felt within our first conversation that I could be like that with you. And I remember my husband saying one time when we got off the phone, asking like, who were you talking to? And saying, it was Noel. And him saying, oh my gosh, you saw, you don't talk like that with many people. Like it just sounded like you guys have known each other forever and that's how I felt. Yeah. The first time I met you in person, I remember meeting you at the Dana and you had, you had just had your mastectomy. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, suddenly gaining insight on my own experience when I saw you. Cause I was like, she's so awesome. You know, like, I mean, you advocate for children for crying out loud, <laughs> like, you know, and that you were this great person and that you didn't deserve this to be happening to, to you, but you were gonna be strong enough to get through it. And it just was like, like a light bulb turned on. It was like, this is like, I don't think I ever really, during the time I just put my head down and got through treatment and it was meeting you that allowed me to kind of like process what I had been through and that, you know, that it's also okay for me to admit that it sucks. Yeah, that it's not a pink ribbon and. And I think that's one of the hardest things to do. And I, because of you and only because of you, I felt like I could do that from day one. And that is something that I wish that anybody mm -hmm. who is unfortunate enough to get a cancer diagnosis, I, w I wish that they could, anybody could feel like that from day one because I think a lot of people go through treatment thinking they have to feel that way. They have to be, you know, 100% positive 100% of the time. And I, of course, I think it's important to have, you know, a positive outlook. And I think it's important to, you know, to be brave and to be strong, but to feel like you have to do that all the time is really hard. Mm -hmm. And I am so thankful that I was able to do that right off the bat because of you. And if you weren't there, I wouldn't have had anyone to do that with. I had so many people in my corner and so many people that were there for me doing so many things, but there was something in you that I wasn't able to have in any of those in yeah. any of those people that yeah. were doing so many other things for me, right. but there was that one thing that nobody else was able to do, and that was to offer me to that have the weak moments. Yes, yeah. exactly. I know when when I was going through it, I I timed my chemo, I tied everything around my kids' schedule. Mm -hmm. Like I timed when I slept after treatment, so that when they got home from school, I could put on you know mm -hmm. put on the makeup, put yep. on the hat, yep. and the brave face, and and that was. Those were the only people I could do that for. Mm -hmm. Everybody yeah. else had to deal with a yeah. little bit yeah. less of me. It just makes such a difference on both sides, like having someone, you know, walk the same path. Mm -hmm. And and our friendship has, it's just like it's always been there. It's yeah. just incredible how quickly, like they, we were just a match made in heaven. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. No one would believe this. No one would believe someone volunteered to help me clean my house. And when she came, she was 86 years old. And so on a day I had chemo, I was dragging a vacuum up the stairs. And my husband and I were having this hushed argument at the top of the stairs. Like, why do you have the vacuum? I was like, well, I'm not going to let the old lady bring the vacuum upstairs. Who would 
like even understand yeah. this or like the crazy things that people say to you and some of them hurtful, some of them helpful. Yeah. The people that walk up to you in the grocery store and say, I've been there and give you that hug. Mm -hmm. And then the people that walk up to you in the grocery store and say, you know, my aunt had it and she drank green tea for a week and she's just perfect now. <laughs> Those like connections in the midst of everything else you're dealing with. It's mm -hmm. just kind of a surreal experience going through treatment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like a, like a hidden. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and when we went to the Jimmy Fun Telethon together and ended up in Fenway and loving and hating at the same time the fact that this is what brought us together. But it's not just the person who has cancer in the family that goes through it. It's the whole family that goes through it. Right. And my kids had that immediate unspoken connection with yours. And it's not that they even understood it. I mean, right. Charlie, my oldest is seven. It's not that yeah. he understands that there's yeah. even that connection. You know, my kids knew that that's how we knew each other. And Charlie and Jack, who were old enough to understand, knew that you also had a you know a time where you didn't have any hair and our kids also have that similar bond i just yeah. with your whole family i just felt like i was immediately at ease and i just think there are so many other things that we have yet to experience with each other outside of the yeah. cancer world and outside of dana and I'm just looking forward to all those yeah. wonderful times. Me too. Yes. Me too. When I was going through treatment, my middle, my son was very sensitive. And I remember him saying to me, like, I, I don't have anyone to talk to about this. And he's he was very interested in meeting your kids yeah. and, and still talks about them. Yeah. And, and, you know, and they were so cute together. And for them, it's the same thing. It's yeah. like somebody who's been in that position. The other thing I think that's really important about um, the kids meeting someone who's further along is that during the time, it's so scary, like to see your mom gets sick from time to time, but it's usually a cold and mom gets better. And when mom doesn't get better for a year and her hair falls out, it's good for to be able to have a reference like this also happened to my friend and she's okay. Look, mm -hmm. she's okay now, yeah. it's gonna be okay. Right. It's interesting because I've seen you now at the Soulmates meetings and you're so giving of yourself now. You you find the person in the room, instantly you're able to find the person who's having the hardest day or at the beginning of the treatment and you just are like, yep, it's going to stink. You know, we're all there for you. You're giving out your number. It's, I think that was there that made you able to receive like what I was able to offer. Never having been a group person, yeah. I have to say, I feel totally at home and at ease at the yeah. soulmates dinners. <laughs> yes. I am not. I would most of the time rather chew my arm off than walk into a room full of people. I'm not built for that. Yeah. But it's such an it's amazing community. community to feel 100% comfortable and at ease in that room just says so much about the program for someone who does yeah. not like to walk into a room. And it's, it's like one of my favorite nights. It's, I don't even know if I should say that out loud, because, but it really is. I do, I, I hate to miss them because right. it's just such a, you just feel relaxed 
You yeah. can say anything. Yeah. You can, you know, it's just, it's just an amazing community yeah. and it's an amazing program. We're at that point right now where it's, I finished treatment yeah. in September and I'm starting to transition into that I don't even know what to call it. Like right now, you just, you've been through it. You feel lost. You feel like yeah. you have no idea where to go or where to turn to because you sometimes feel like you should be happy about it. And why are you still feeling yeah. like, oh my gosh, I still have such a long haul. And I think it's interesting to see the program working outside of being an active treatment and right. surgery and getting right. the diagnosis and you know we've we've gone through me hearing that the pathology was worse than first expected so going through that together and then now also going through my kind of transition into being done with treatment yeah. and integrating back into yeah. a quote-unquote new normal we were having a conversation about recurrence and being nervous about it and how do you get past that and I remember you saying to me today's not the day today's not the day and today you're here and today just be aware of everything that's going on around you and it was almost this you didn't use the word mindful but just being mindful of where you are in the moment and just being present and you saying you know today's not the day. And I feel like that yeah. was one of the most helpful things that you've ever said to me. One of the things that I said early in our conversations is, I'm going to just tell you the truth. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to say, um, say it the nice way. But, you know, in practice, there probably are some people you can't say that to. Mm -hmm. And you being so open and being so honest with me allowed me to really be able to be comfortable saying those things that scare me to death too. Like, we can't decide if we're the ones who get the recurrence mm -hmm. or not. It's not up to us, mm -hmm. we can't control it. But today is not the day, you know, yep. um, and it may happen and, and we'll just have to deal with it. There's very little you can do to, you know, sway the numbers. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. One thing that I will take with me forever and be forever appreciative about is from the very beginning, I was given the opportunity because of you. I was to just be real about it and to not feel that pressure of putting on a happy face and to not feel the pressure that kind of comes along with this and feeling like you have to act a certain way or being, be a certain way. And I feel like I've carried that into other things besides going through treatment and besides having breast cancer diagnosis is just being real. And there's nothing wrong with being real and there's nothing wrong with feeling a certain way mm -hmm. or saying that you feel a certain way. Yeah. I hope that one day I will be able to do for even one young woman what you've done for me and what you're doing for anyone else that you you've matched with. You've done the same for me, so it's not one-sided.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Voices, featuring breast cancer soulmates Melissa and Noelle. To hear more episodes of Voices and learn about other podcasts from Dana-Farber, visit www.danafarber.org podcasts.